Well, it's going to be a great morning, and I want to get straight into the message. Let me check the time. Awesome. We are going to finish on time today. I guarantee it. Uh, but before we get into the depths of the message, I would just like to put forward a very important thought. And that thought is that I am great at maths. Um, I am amazing at maths. Uh, I love maths, generally speaking. I do Sudoku as a way of relaxing. Some people think that's absolutely crazy, but I am really good at math. Um, just to give you an example of that, uh, in my first year, some people are not getting that this is meant to be funny. You guys are like writing notes down, Nate is great at math. It's like, I will not solve your accountancy problems, but I am good at math. Uh, my first year of university, uh, I was doing psychology and we had to do a stats unit. Uh, in the second, third year, fourth year, we would be able to use computer programs to do all the stats issues, uh, the, the, the things that we will find. But in the first year, we had to do uh, the, the, the math, the stats uh, stuff by hand. We had to do it slowly putting in all the different things and use our calculators and all of that kind of gear. And it came to the exam, the exam was two and a half hours long. I finished my paper in an hour and 15 and I left the room because I was like, what's the point of sitting here with a whole bunch of people that look like they are suicidal? Um, and I left the room and all my friends were looking at me like I was, they, they gave me the stank eye. Like if you ever seen the stank eye before, the whole room was full of people giving me the stank eye. Uh, I scored over 85% in that unit and so I'm good at math. And one of the things about being good at math is that you start to see the world as an equation. One of the things that I'm really good at is seeing patterns in people's lives and in my life and, and I can move things around, I, I can solve problems. I'm a great problem solver. And, and that is the way that I have um, used, like that's the way that I lead quite often. I, I solve problems, I, I make things happen, I see things in black and white and I make it work. But over the last couple of years, God has been taking me on a journey of uh, seeing and understanding yeah, God's definitely speaking right now. Can you hear that? Um, and God, <laughs> God is trying to show me, God has been trying to show me over the last couple of years that, you know, life isn't math and people aren't problems to solve. Yeah? Yeah, parenting in particular, uh, to throw that into the mix over the last couple of years from what I've been learning, parenting isn't neat. It, it doesn't add up. Parenting is one of those things in life that will show you very clearly, as good a problem solver as you are, that not all issues in life can be solved like a problem. I would like to put forward, and every parent will know what I'm talking about, but one of the biggest issues with kids is this symptom or this situation called overtiredness, right? Everyone heard of overtiredness before? If you're a young person, you've never heard of overtiredness, let me tell you, this is um, impossible math. That's what overtiredness is. You see, when your child is overtired, the simple solution is sleep. sleep. <laughs> it makes sense, doesn't it? All of us know you're tired, you go to sleep. What happens when a child is overtired? They don't sleep. In fact, their stupid little bodies decide to put adrenaline into them when they are overtired. It's like, do you know what adrenaline does? Adrenaline gets you ready for action. So their bodies, when they are overtired, decides to then be activated. And so you have a child who is tired and needs to sleep, 
but their bodies have decided to do the exact opposite thing to help you out. And so what happens is that they will kick and scream and not sleep. They will do the opposite of what the simple equation tells them to do. And then on top of that, if by some miracle they fall asleep, what happens is that they don't do the full nap. If let's say they're supposed to do a two hour nap, they'll wake up after an hour because of the residual adrenaline that is still in their body. Overtiredness is one of those things that is like, how do you solve this? <laughs> and, and, and when they wake up early, then you have to then watch that they don't get overtired before the next nap. And, and if you do, you miss it. And then they're overtired and then they're kicking and they're screaming and your whole life is ruined. <laughs> Welcome to the impossible math life of a parent. And um, what I, why I'm trying to talk about this is because parenting is quite strange and you, I, think as, I think especially as dads, just in a very general way, we as men tend to think very straight down the line and we think about things in terms of linear equations and, and, and we try to solve life in that way. But parenting really isn't like that. I've got a quick clip just to... Um, demonstrate to you some of the complexities of parenting. So if you turn your attention to the screens, Dean, if you cue that video up, that would be brilliant. Awesome. So, as you can see, a parent has many problems to solve, and often they aren't very easy to solve at all. But I think one of the things that we need to realize is that we need to stop thinking in linear equations. And this is where I want to introduce to you something that I have been learning over the last couple of years about parenting, and it is a tool that I believe both mums and dads need to use. I, I, will, I will say that I think that this is extremely important. Uh, I will focus this on dads because it's Father's Day, but I do believe that this is transferable uh, to both parents. Um, and I want to introduce a tool that I'm going to call holding the space. And so that was that little picture, um, holding the space. This is a, a tool that every parent can use. And um, you see, in the Bible, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it, right? And this is a, a verse that, that, that um, I remember being quoted many times. Uh, you know, you need to train your child up. Start them off in the way they should go, and so that when they, in the future, they will continue on that path. This is one of the verses in the Bible. And in Ephesians 6, verse 4, it also says, Fathers, 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I used to think that with these verses combined together, I approach parenting from a very equational point of view. I used to think that if I train my child up well, then when they are older, they will stay the course no matter what. If I do this well, this is guaranteed to happen. Make sense? And everyone's like, yeah, what's so, what's so new about that? Well, I'm here to tell you that that's probably not what the Bible is intending to teach us. For uh, example, the first verse comes from Proverbs, and Proverbs is not a book of promises, it's a book of wisdom, it's a book of guidelines that says when you do this, generally you will end up with this outcome. However, it is not a guarantee, it is not a promise, it is not God saying if you do well at the start, you will definitely get that at the end. That is not what Proverbs is meant to be. But yet in my mind and in, in my life, in my, uh, even in my pastoring, when I'm working with parents in particular, there seems to be this sense of like, did I do something wrong? Especially when you hit teenagehood, right? And your teenager is exploring life and is exploring all that's going wrong, going on, and, and your child is not exactly living according to the ways that you have taught them. Suddenly you get into your mind, I've done something wrong as a parent. And what happens when you think that as a parent you've done something wrong? Immediately you start to problem solve. You start to think about all the ways that you've done things wrong and you try to change all of that, which possibly makes things worse. And then you feel even worse because you've not solved a problem which makes you a bad parent. Suddenly he's gone very quiet. But that is the way that I honestly thought that parenting was until a few years, a couple of years ago, God started to put in my heart that that is not how people work. That is not how you raise a child. That's not how you disciple. That's not how you raise another person. Really helping another person grow and mature is really about holding the space. And I want to uh, explain this through the parable of the prodigal son. I'm going to read this quite quickly um, for the sake of time, but if you want to take more time in it, it's Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11, and it says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to, the, to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best rope and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the, ca- uh, the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The father also has an older son. They have a bit of a conversation. Go read that for yourself because it does fit in. We just don't have time to unpack that part of the parable. But this parable was designed to show us how God relates to us. Jesus told his parable to show us how the kingdom operates, how God works with us. And so by inference, I would say that this is probably in the whole Bible, a story of the best dad that there is the most competent dad that there is in the whole Bible, if it's supposed to uh, uh, reference Father God, right? Make sense? So I want you to take a moment and consider this. The best dad in the whole Bible had a rebellious son. Think about this. The best dad in the whole Bible had a rebellious son who walked away from everything he taught him. Does that make this dad a failure? No. But it does show us some things about parenting. You see, I believe that this dad shows to us what I'm calling holding the space. And first and foremost, we see that this father holds a very physical space. That's the easiest way for us to see this, right? Because this son comes to him and says, Dad, I want everything that is due to me and I want to go. And, and, and he leaves. Now, I want you to see this, that this dad does not control this son's actions. This dad is not about controlling his son. And, and so that's one of the things that we need to understand. Holding the space is not about control. That is something that we need to remember when we are parenting. Parenting is not about control. And why we reach for control is because control allows us to problem solve. When we are able to control someone else, we can use our wisdom, our experience, which is probably a lot more than your child's. Yes, you can see where their actions and where their decisions are going to lead, probably because you've done the same things. If you've got a child that is wanting independence, you have wanted independence before. But you know that the pursuit of independence is fraught with danger, and so you want to protect your child. And so what do you do? You reach out to control the child because you think that by controlling the child, you are going to solve the equation and your child is going to be okay. But this dad demonstrates that holding the space is not about control. In fact, he allows this son to leave his space. He allows his son to explore beyond the space that he is in control of. And that is something that we need to realize, every parent heading especially into teenagehood, that your child will want to explore spaces beyond the ones that you control and the ones that you are a part of. That is a psychological fact. It is something called moratorium. In fact, if your child never goes through moratorium, they never learn how to think for themselves. We need our children to learn how to explore. We need to allow our children a chance to explore, to go through moratorium. And moratorium sucks. Let me just say this. Moratorium sucks because moratorium is about them taking every single value that you hold, examining it, throwing it aside to see what the consequences are, and going, was mom right or wrong? Was dad right or wrong? 
And while you're doing that, it's like, I have told you the values work. I have lived them out. I know the consequences. Why do you need to explore it when I have explored it? And the child's like, oh, but I want to do it myself. That voice is breaking. It was, a, it was teenagehood. And so you have this situation that is taking place, but you are never meant to control. You're only meant to hold a space. And so this son takes his part of the estate and he leaves for a faraway land. And what is interesting about the next phase in this parable is the, the conspicuous missingness of the father. As long as the son is in a faraway land, we do not see the father. Consider this. As long as the son is in a faraway land, we do not see the father. Where's the father? Does he not care? Does he not love? Does he, has he released his parenting? Has he stopped being a good father? Why is he not there? Why is he not there to, to advise and to admonish his son when he is squandering all his wealth? Why is he not peeking over his shoulder and saying, you shouldn't have that friend and you shouldn't have that friend? Why when he is in this faraway land, why is the dad missing? Why is the dad missing when he has spent all of his money? Why? Why is the dad not there to, to pay the debts? Why is the dad not there when the son resorts to being a pig farmer, which is completely against the culture that he was raised in? Why is the father missing? Because the father knows that that is not the space that I'm meant to hold. That is not my space. And if I reach into that space, it's not going to lead to the outcomes that I was hoping for anyway. You see, in our culture today, we have a lot of parents that are overreaching their spaces. We read stories about how parents go to teachers, and I'm not here to condemn anyone if this is what you're doing, but I'm here to show you principles in the Word of God. We hear about parents going to teachers and telling teachers how they're supposed to teach their children. We stop our kids from feeling the consequences of their actions. And when we stop our kids from feeling the consequences of their actions, they never learn for themselves whether the values are really going to work or not. And so we need our kids to be able to feel pain. Holding the space is difficult because it means that you allow your child to feel pain. But I want you to also see that the moment that this son comes back into the territory of his father, it says that while he was still a far distance away, the father has always been on the lookout. Isn't that interesting? That the father while he did not go to the faraway land, he continued to hope and continued to look out. Right. One of the things that I've learned about parenting that is actually really difficult is not putting my sticky beak in it. One of the hardest things about parenting is when you see your child doing the wrong things and, the difficult, uh, and, and making really bad decisions is not going in and trying to stop them. It's actually staying in your space and continuing to love and continuing to hope, that is actually more painful because you are, are not in control. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. But a good parent continues to hold a space. A parent 
needs to learn how to hold that space. And the moment a child enters into your domain, you can run to him or her, embrace him or her, and allow them to re-enter into the space. So what is holding the space all about? See, holding the space is not about control. Holding, holding the space is about culture. It's actually about culture. You see, what I mean by culture, and if I can define culture for you, culture is simply, this is the way that things are done around here. It means all the rights and all the responsibilities lived out in a consistent, regular, predictable basis, so much so that everyone knows this is just how it's done around here. Culture can be bad or culture can be good. You can have a terrible culture and that's just the way that you've grown up and that's just the way it's going to be. You can have a culture where everyone backtalks each other and tears each other, everyone down with each other's words. That can be the culture. It's just the way that things are done around here. You can be in a culture where maybe because you have 20 kids in the house, there is no such thing as silence and you're not used to silence. That's just the culture. That's just the way that things are done around here. Or you can be from another culture where there's only two kids and kids are never meant to be heard. They're only meant to be seen and so you're used to this really quiet household that is that is culture that's just the way that things are done around here but what holding the space is all about is about evaluating knowing the culture that you are setting and living it out see I want to point out to you that when this son was in the faraway land and it says this when he came to his senses when he stopped being an idiot. That's Nate's translation. When he realized how stupid he had been, what did he do? He thought back to the space that his father holds. And he thought about the lowest person in that household, the servants. And he realized that the servants were always treated with dignity. He realized that the servants were always given food to eat. He realized that his father had shown how to live out rights and responsibilities in a way that every person that lived in that space lived out the benefits and, and lived to a, a better level. Remember what the dad said when the son came back? He said, uh, you were dead, but now you are alive. The dad knew that when he held this space, this space is life-giving. And he knew, and this is the hard part, this father knew that when my son leaves this life-giving place, he is only going to find death. But holding the space is not about holding you in life because that's not how it works. You have to want life. You have to want this culture. It's interesting that we can talk about Jesus giving us freedom and hope and life, but people need to be able to choose that for themselves. It sounds stupid, but all of us do it. In the Bible, it says, this day I put before you life and death. Now choose. Most of us will go like, oh, what well, is so stupid? Of course I choose life. But how many of us are actually living in death? It's just a human condition that we are living in. We need to allow our children to find their senses. But quite often, they find their senses not in the space that we hold, but in a faraway land. But we can pray. We can believe that God is still at work. 
And we can pray that they will come to their senses and realize mom and dad actually had a place that was full of life. Mom and dad demonstrated what that looked like. And I know that I might not deserve the identity, the status, the position of son anymore, but I'm going to try anyway to re-enter the space. And in that moment when the son chooses to do that, the father demonstrates forgiveness. The father demonstrates restoration. How beautiful is that picture? You see, culture is the way that things are done around here. And culture comes from the values that you hold. What values do you want to live out? What values do you know, believe, are life-giving? Put them into place and actually live them out. See, one of the tricky things about values is that we can say what our values are, but they're meaningless until we live them out. I remember going to the shops probably about two, three years ago, and I was in the car park. I was getting my stuff back into the car, and I saw this mom swearing her head off at this child and said, you will not use foul language around me. And I'm like, hmm. It's kind of like, but how do we treat our children when we want them to be respectable, respecting, respectful, that's the word, sorry, thank you. When you want them to be respectful, do you treat them with respect? When we want them to be responsible, do we treat them as responsible? When we, wanna, when we want them to know that they are loved, yeah. do you communicate it in the way that they know that they are loved? When you want to have a, a, a culture where, where you are accepted, where you belong, how are you doing that? Are you doing it in a way that your child can actually understand? And this is the thing. You can start your child up in the way, but then their choices then determines how they're going to go. And the beauty of starting a child up in the right way is that hopefully they know how to come home. And that's what it's all about. Holding the space is not overreaching the things that you can't control. Holding the space is thinking deeply about the things that you can control and that you should control and then controlling it. I'm learning how to control my reactions. I'm learning how to manage my emotions. I'm learning how to be healthy as a dad because if I want Sam to be healthy, the best way for him to be healthy is to have a healthy dad. I can't go to Sam and say, Sam, don't do what dad is doing. Do what dad is saying. You think, what, what do you think he's going to think? What, what an idiot. If you really thought that that would work, you would have been doing it. Yeah. Right? But how are we doing that? How are we doing that for our children? When we hold, holding the space is harder than controlling the child. Because yeah. controlling the child is, especially when they are young, they are so movable. I don't want you to touch this. I don't want you to do that. You, you physically can force them to do what you want them to do, but the older they grow, the less you are able to control. One of the psychologists uh, that wrote a parenting book that Beck and I have, have read is, said this very powerful words. It said, when their child is young, allow them to make mistakes because the, the penalty of those mistakes are small. 
when they are three years old and the penalty of their mistakes is a grazed knee, let them make those mistakes. But because when they're 18, the penalty of the mistake is going to be far, far higher. And that is something that really grabbed me. It was like, how am I setting up a culture? How am I thinking about failure? How am I thinking about restoration? How am I thinking about identity? How am I thinking about God? How am I thinking about the community of God? How am I living out what I believe about the community of God? We need to take control of this space. I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday that, that um, was between a couple of psychologists. I don't know, I sound like an absolute nerd, but I love psychology. I was listening to this interview that two psychologists were having about emotional agility, and, and this psychologist made this point that said that uh, according to research, when a parent is able to correctly label emotions and then effectively manage them, the child will learn those skills and is proven to lead to resilience. See the sequence of events here. The parent needs to be able to learn and understand their emotions, manage their emotions, before they're able to teach their child how to manage emotions. And when they do, it has shown to always, oh, I don't know about always, but generally lead to a greater resilience in children. And that is a sequence that as parents we need to learn. What are the values that I know bring life? And how am I living them out? Do you know? Young person, you might not be a parent yet, but let me tell you, parenting comes like a thief. You're not a parent one day, the next day you are. One day, this is you and your wife going out to Vic Park at 7 p.m. for dessert or 8 p.m. for dessert, the next day you have a child that demands every moment of your time. And sometimes it's kind of like, man, when I had time, I should have thought about these things. <laughs> when I actually had sleep, it would have been better for me to consider the values that I want to hold because now I'm tired. <laughs> and now I have to think about the values that I want to hold. Let me just slap the child and hope that they grow up well. Got an amen from the young dad. <laughs> but isn't this the way that we see this amazing father parent? It's never about control. It's always about what am I setting? In my house, I will practice forgiveness. And this is what it looks like. In my house, we will practice restoration. And this is what it looks like. In my house, you will learn to be responsible. And if you stay here, you will do the things that you are required to do. I cannot control you. And if you leave this house, sure, you won't be responsible, but you will learn what irresponsibility leads to. And that is your choice, son. When we disciple, I think we need to think about holding this space as well. What kind of culture are we living out when we try to help someone else on their journey? What are the values that we're trying to live out so that they can learn? These are all important questions and everyone's gonna parent differently. Everyone's gonna have different values that you 
put out as more important, and that's cool. But do you know why they are important? Why are those values important to you? Are they biblical? Do they glorify God? Or are they just a reaction to the way that you were parented? I realize that none of us have had perfect parents. Just putting it out there, my parents are in the room, love you guys. But none of us have perfect parents. And quite often, when we don't think about it, we just simply live in reaction to what we experienced. Rather than live out what we have tested and known is God glorifying. Today, all I'm trying to put forward is what kind of space are you holding? What kind of space are you trying to live out? What kind of space are you setting for your children, for the people that you are discipling and leading? What kind of space are you setting for them? I just want to end this message just to talk about what our God does. Our God said that I'm going to set a space for every person to find belonging. I'm going to set a space for every person to find wholeness and life eternally. I'm going to set a space so that no one has to experience death. And this is the way I'm going to prove it, by sending my son to die on the cross. So if you're in this place and you're kind of wondering whether God loves you, God has already set the space and he's holding that space. We don't have to bring our thoughts and our doubts into this equation. For God is like, I can control this. I can control whether you suffer the penalty of death. And this is the gateway. This is the limits of the space that I hold. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will find life. It's, it's kind of beautifully simple. And sometimes we make a mess out of the things that God is saying and doing, and we change the kind of space that he's holding. But I love that when we take Jesus for his word, when we take Father God at his word, and, and we say, okay, you said to come confidently into your presence, so here I come. We just sang songs about how the veil has been torn. There's no more separation between us and God. We were singing about the love of God. But are you actually entering into the space that God has set for you? Are you allowing God to put a new cloak on you, a ring on your finger to signify your new identity, new sandals for your feet so that you can continue on your journey? Or are you staying in the pig farmer's pen trying to make life and make ends meet for yourself? You see, God is not going to bring salvation to that faraway land for you. God is holding the space saying, I have done everything I can and I will so that you can experience life and life abundantly. That's the, the way our Heavenly Father has helped the space for each and every one of us. When we live according to his culture, His kingdom culture, that is when we experience the fullness of life. So this morning, I just want to pray with every person that wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, to enter into the space of belonging and love. And so every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to invite Jesus into your life, can you just repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life.
I know I have sinned. Be my Lord and my Savior. Come and live in me. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.